Last night we began to talk about the angel of the covenant. And we began to look at scripture and highlighting this angel in Revelation chapter 10 that comes down from heaven clothed in a cloud. And the reason why we began to look at these verses, the reason why we began to examine them was because we see in these days people leaving the Advent people. People saying that this church is a cult. That this group of people, though I've been a seven-day Adventist for years, I saw, we read a letter last night. The Adventist minister said, I don't believe in this message anymore. I don't believe in the three angels. I don't believe in the spirit of prophecy. I don't believe in the, in the great controversy problem. I don't believe in any of these things. And we looked at that and we said, well, is there any biblical reason why we as a people exist? Are we any, are we any different from any of the, of the other churches? And we have to ask the question. Because if we're not any different, we need to shut the doors today. Amen. I need you to hear me. If we are not any different, if our family name, Seventh-day Adventists, is not any different from anything else, then we need to shut the doors today. So we're going to review. And I only have a short time. We're going to review this morning. Book of Revelation. Open to Revelation 10. And you can see here on the screen, we looked up the cloud. You see that there in the cloud? And what last night, those of you here last night, help out those who are new this morning. What does a cloud represent in the Bible? Divinity only comes in the cloud. Is that right? Divinity is the only person that's ever come in a cloud. Go through all the scripture. You'll see only divinity comes in a cloud. We looked at a cloud and a rainbow together. And that cloud and rainbow together represented what? A covenant. An everlasting covenant. Covenant. So this angel that comes down is no regular angel. This angel that comes down is a messenger and he is divine. He has an everlasting covenant that he wants to share with his people. The face was like the sun. We said the face being like the sun is God's enduringness, his everlastingness. And we made a comparison. You remember we read or about Moses? Moses' face when he went into the presence of God, what did it look like when he came out? It was glowing and it was shining. We read in Matthew 17, 22, Jesus was transfigured and his face shone like the what? Like the sun. We saw in Revelation chapter 1, 12 through 16, that God, Jesus, is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And as he's standing there in the midst of the golden candlesticks, it says his face shone like the sun. We know that this angel in Revelation chapter 10 is none other than Jesus. We said pillars of fire. Tell me, class. Pillars of fire represented what? God leading his people through the darkness of time. We said that his feet was on the earth and the sea. What did that represent? Talk to me. He's claiming territory. This is his. He's dominating. Is that right? And we saw that in the Bible, there's a beast that came out of the sea and a beast that comes out of the earth. These powers are antagonistic to what God has claimed for himself. Does everybody follow? And then we looked at the roaring of a lion. I thought this was beautiful, in my opinion. When he roars like a lion, God is speaking. Is that right? And he is then troubling those who trouble God's people. When the lion roars, he's saying, look, stop messing with my children. He is the vindicator of his people. And also, when a lion roars, somebody must prophesy. That's what we read. We saw that in Amos chapter 3, verse 4 and verse 8, that when a lion roars, someone must 
prophesied. Revelation 10, go there with me. In Revelation 10, you're there already, actually. In Revelation 10, and look carefully at verse number 3. And it says, he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their what? Seven thunders uttered their voices. And we looked at those seven thunders, and those seven thunders, at least one, of, one verse, let's look at a couple of verses this morning. At least one verse in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. Look at Exodus 20 and verse 18. We've asked the question this morning, why does God delay his coming? Exodus chapter 20, and we're looking at verse number 18. When you have it, say amen. And notice what it says in verse 18. And, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar. And notice verse 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us. Did you hear that? So when God is speaking in the sound of a thunder, the people are like, look, I don't want you to, let's not talk to God. Moses, you talk to us. You seem to be the nicer of this. And remember now, Moses is a type of Jesus. Remember, Moses covered his face with a veil. Remember that? And Jesus covered himself in flesh, being the glory of God. The people didn't want to come close to Moses because his light was so radiant and it reflected the reality of the sinfulness of the people. Do you remember that? All right, let's go a little further. Now, these seven thunders uttering their voices. Now, I don't want to go here yet. I want us to go back to Revelation chapter 10. Go back to Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation 10, we see in verse 5, and we're going to take our time here, verse 4. And it says, And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. So John is about to write what the seven thunders said, and someone says, don't write it. Don't write out the prophecy that was here stated under the seven thunders. Don't write it. Notice what it says in verse number five. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven. And the things therein are, and the earth, and the things therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be, what? There should be time no longer. Now, we're going to pause here this morning. We got to, the, we got to this point last night. I want to look at this quotation on the screen. Pay attention. It says, the books of Daniel and Revelation are one. One is a prophecy. The other, a revelation. One, a book sealed. The other, a book open. John heard the mysteries with the seven thunders uttered, but he was commanded not to write them. The special light given to John, which was expressed in the seven thunders, was a delineation of, of what? Of events, which would transpire under the first and second angel's messages. Now, you guys are all Adventists, so don't open your Bibles for this. Here we go. We're going to quote a verse. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Are you ready? The Advent people, are you ready? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of what? Having the what? Question. What's the gospel? Would you say that the gospel is a covenant? Listen to me now. I would say that the everlasting gospel 
is the same as the everlasting covenant. What you see in Revelation chapter 10 is the first angel coming down in essence, that first angel's message, this covenant keeping God. And in Revelation chapter 14, you see this first angel saying the same thing. It has the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth through every what? Nation and what? Kindred. What's the kindred? A kindred is family. Are you listening? Every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with what kind of voice? What did it say? Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. What you see in Revelation 14 verse 6 is what you see in Revelation chapter 10. The angel is coming down with this everlasting covenant. He's coming down with the gospel. He's coming down with the relationship that he's trying to have with his children, his people. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. I want you to see something. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. The book of Ephesians is an awesome book. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians, chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 3. Ephesians, chapter 1. We're looking at verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. My question to you from the text, where are the spiritual blessings found? They're found in Christ. Where is Christ? In, heaven. in heavenly places. So the spiritual blessings are found in heavenly places in Christ. Is that right? Let's go a little further. Verse number four. According as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Where did God choose us? Now, I didn't say when. I said where did he choose us? Well, look at the verse. According as he have chosen us in him. Where did he choose us? In him. So he's chosen us in Christ. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Keep that in mind. Now watch what it says. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? That we should be what? That we should be what? That we should be what? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world. And he planned that in Christ, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him that we should be holy and without blame. That's what he chose. So now when you see this angel, this everlasting covenant angel coming down from heaven, he's coming to fulfill what this verse just said. Did you hear what I said? He's coming to fulfill the covenant. He says, look, I promise before the foundation of the world that I will have a people holy and without blame, spotless before me. Here's the angel going to give the covenant relationship to John. And John is a symbol of a people. And notice what the Bible says. Continuing on here. Jump down to verse number nine. Having made known unto us the mystery of his what? According to his good pleasure, which he purposed where? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in who? Both which are in heaven and which are in 
earth, even in Interesting. My mind starts to wrap around this idea. Heaven and earth are separated. God chose before the foundation of the world that in Christ, heaven and earth would be united. But the problem is, sin separates us from who? Does anybody, is anybody with me this morning? Sin separates us from who? Sin separates us from God. We're not in heaven yet. You know why? Because of? Let's put the problem where it is. Sin separates us from God. God's purpose was to have us spotless and without blame. But who is hindering the process right now? We're doing it. We're hindering the process. We're hindering the work. We're slowing the plan of God. Let's go a little further. Jump down to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Notice what it says in verse number 14. And Paul is speaking here. It says, for this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole, what? Is everyone there? And whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, I remember when I got married. When we got married, you know, my wife's last name was Cameron. She married me. What, what name do you think she got? She got my name or her name? Which name did we get? She got my name. Amen. Her name changed. She became a Waller. She put away her maiden name. That maiden name doesn't exist anymore. Not under her name. Her name is Alpha Waller. Why? Because she entered into a covenant with me. You're not listening to me this morning. She entered into a covenant with me, and I said to her, baby, girl, I'm going to be the provider for you. Hmm? I'm going to make sure that I bring enough money in or grow enough seeds, something, so that there'll be food on the table. I want to do what I can to make sure that there's no other woman in my life. Not even on the Internet. Amen. I'm going to make sure that you are my one and only, and I'm going to share my time with you. I wonder. This covenant relationship God has with his people, I wonder if it's just as intimate or even more so. I wonder if we're supposed to take his family name or we're going to take his name. Listen to me. Are we going to take his name or he's going to take my name? Which one is it supposed to be? If I take his name, then whose, whose laws do I come under? I come under his laws. Whose jurisdiction do I come under? His jurisdiction. Now, if, I was, if he was a mean God, I wouldn't want to come under his jurisdiction. Is that right? If I was a beating my bride and before I married her and lied to her and cheating on her and doing all these things to her, I wouldn't think she would enter into a covenant with me. God has a problem. His church doesn't want to marry him. Listen to me. His church doesn't want to marry him. Look what the Bible says. Go with me back to the book of Revelation. Back to the book of Revelation. There's a counter power here, a deceptive power. Back to the book of Revelation. And notice what it says in verse number 17. Verse 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of what? 
this church, the remnant, will keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens when people actually keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus? Go go back with me to Revelation chapter 1. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. What happens when people actually keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus? What it says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in what? In tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the what? So why is he on the island? Because he keeps the commandments and he has a testimony. Go back, go, go a little further with me. We're in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. Revelation 6 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 6 verse 9. What happens to those that actually keep the commandments of God and have the testimony? Revelation 6 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the what? Word of God and for the what? testimony which they held. It seems to me that if you maintain the word of God and you hold on to the testimony, persecution's coming. Did you see that? Let's go a little further. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation, we are at Revelation 12, verse 17. The dragon goes to make war with, the, with the, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony. Revelation 14, look at verse 12. And verse 12 is in the context of the third angel. Notice what it says. It says, here is the what? Patience, patience of the saints. Well, why would a saint need patience? Well, because they're being tried. Is that right? Persecution is transpiring. See, the people of God, the church of God, do not want persecution. So we won't preach and teach this message. Amen. See, it's, it's difficult to be in the world and say, you know, your friends, you know, your friends you used to hang out with. I used to hang out with a lot of friends. I used to work at Blockbuster Video. You know, at Blockbuster Video, when you worked there back in the day, they'll let you rent, I mean, take home videos. You could take five videos home a day. And I would watch five videos a day. Take them, watch them all, go back to Blockbuster, get five more, and watch them all. And I'll just be in Blockbuster, I mean, you know, watching it and watching it. But, you know, when I became a Christian, I couldn't watch that stuff anymore. I couldn't sit there and watch it. I couldn't say just because I live in Hollywood, Los Angeles, that I just have to see a little bit of it. I'm strong enough. Listen to me. Listen to me. You're not strong enough under the enchantments of the devil. You're not strong enough. By beholding, you become what? Imperceptibly, as you sit there and as you meditate and as you watch what Satan puts on that screen, you are being changed invariably, friends. You can't sit there and watch it. You can't play the video games and just play them and play them. Your mind connecting with this imaginary stuff and your mind not be changed by it. You can't do it. You can't imbibe the spirit of this world and expect that you're going to marry and be yoked up with this covenant-keeping God. Listen to me, church. I'm trying to be as plain as I can. Jesus is about to come, but he's going to come for a people that have linked up with him. These are the final moments. And he will have a people. He will have a people. Now, I want to go a little further. Remember that he swears with a solemn oath that there shall be time no what? Now, I want you to see the reason why he talks about this time. 
The only time, go back to Daniel 7 now, go to Daniel 7. I want you to see a, very, very, a myriad of verses here. Daniel 7. Notice in Daniel chapter 7 and looking at verse 25. And we know in the context of the chapter, this particular verse is highlighting the papal supremacy. Daniel 7 verse 25, notice what it says. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand for what? Time and what? Times and what? Notice Daniel 7 verse 28. Notice what it says here. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations, my thoughts much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter where? So what he sees in this vision, what's troubling him is this power that is persecuting and prosecuting the saints. Remember, the saints don't want to be persecuted and prosecuted. Notice what it says in Daniel chapter 8. Again, dealing with this idea of time. Daniel chapter 8, look at verse number, th- number 13. Verse number 13, Daniel 8, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Then I heard one say speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the what? And the host to be trodden underfoot. If you look at verse number 24, that host are the people of God, God's people are being persecuted. Are you following? That host is the people of God being persecuted. Notice what it says at the end of the chapter, verse 26. And the visions of the evening and the morning, which was true, wherefore shut up the vision, for it shall be for what? Many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick. Certain days afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Do you see Daniel's concern? Daniel's looking back at that vision. It said 2,300 days. It seems like the saints will be trodden underfoot. He's concerned. He's confused. First is 1,260. Now it's 2,300. What's the problem? Go with me a little further. You're in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12. Look at Daniel 12. Time shall be no longer. Why is he talking about time being no longer? Daniel chapter 12. Look at verse number 5. It says in verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to that man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he had lifted up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a what? Time and what? Times and what? And have, when he have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be accomplished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Do you see Daniel always concerned after the end of these time prophecies? Do you see it? Do you understand it? Every time he sees a time prophecy, he's confused. Every time he sees it, because he knows they're only supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. But now he's getting 1,260. Now he's giving 1,230. He's confused. Why, Lord? Why are God's people going to go through this problem? Notice what it says. 
Verse 9. And he said, go thy way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and what? Sealed till the time of the end. So this time prophecy issue, this understanding of what God is doing with his church is sealed until the time of the... Now, well, let me ask you a question. Who's the church? Talk to me a little bit. What is the church to God? What's the church? That's his bride. That's his family. Is that right? A few years ago, my wife and I got pregnant. We got pregnant, and it was the ectopic. You know what an ectopic pregnancy is? When the egg and the sperm connect, and then they get in the fallopian tube. And so it doesn't make it all the way to the, to the sac. You understand? So we had to have a surgery, and that removed. That was a sad time. But it didn't just happen once. It happened twice. You listening? It happened twice. Can you imagine what I was thinking? I was like, Lord, what is, am I cursed? Do you understand the process? I'm there, I'm wondering, Lord, is it, is it because I ate something wrong? Then I'm thinking, well, they're drug dealers and drug baby addicts, and they, they have babies still. I, I'm, I'm, it's not, did I do something wrong? Is there something I did? I, I'm questioning God because the, the crisis, the problem is so great. Are you listening to me? I got to a point where in the process, my wife was pretty strong about it, but in the process I started to think, man, is God mad at me? Am I cursed? I'm laying it here before you because we have to examine what we are as a people. We are almost ashamed of the disappointment. Listen to me. As a people, we're almost ashamed of it as if Oh, that was because we were, uh, uh, we were just erroneous. We were just crazy. We were, we were fanatical. We made this thing up. Ellen White made it up. But I'm going to show you right now, and I showed you last night a tidbit of it. God designed the struggle to birth the remnant. God designed the struggle. He designed the disappointment to birth a people that will stand in the final hours of earth's history. And that's why it is told to John, you must prophesy what? You must prophesy again. You must prophesy again. Now watch me now. Daniel chapter 12, we're sitting in Daniel 12. Says verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. None of the wicked shall understand. None. They won't understand. They won't understand the disappointment. They won't understand the, 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 the whole 1260 years of persecution. They won't understand. None of the wicked will understand. Here's my question Are you wicked this morning? Because here, here's the reality. If you are wicked this morning, I don't care how much I explain it to you, you won't get it. Your heart and your mind and your soul must be submitted to the man Jesus. You must say, Father, please teach me who you are and what you're doing. In fact, let me show you something before I go any further. Go to Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9. I want you to go there. Watch me, church, now, because it's, it's important that we understand these things, for only the wise will understand these things. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, notice what the Bible says. The thing that hath been 
It is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is what? There's no new, new thing under the sun. Question, hath been. Is that past, present, or future? Hath been. Talk to me. Hath been. Past, present, or future? That's past. What about shall be? Past, present, or future? Future. Is that right? What is is done? Past, present, or future? That's present. That's present. So God, God is saying that which has been in the past going to be in the future. That which is present is that it's going to be in the future. That is going to be a pattern that we're going to be able to see. Go to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 15. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. That which hath been is what? That which hath been is, is now. And that which is to be hath already been and God requires that which is past. Revelation 1. Go to Revelation 1 now. Go to Revelation 1. I'm sharing something with you, friends. I want you to see it. Revelation 1. Look at verse number 8. Notice what it says in Revelation 1, verse 8. Revelation 1, verse 8. I am Alpha and what? The beginning and the end, he said, the Lord, which is. What, what is which is? Past, present, or future? That's present. Which was? Is that past, present, or future? Which is to come, past, present, or future? So when we're looking at the way God has dealt with things in the past, we're looking at God. When we're looking at prophecy, we're looking at God. We're looking at understanding God. But if you don't love Jesus, you won't understand his movements. You ever got in an argument before? I remember when we, again, many of my bride, you know, we have such wonderful relationships. It's developed over time. I remember we were first married early on, and I remember her doing something to me. And I said something back to her, and then I closed the refrigerator like I normally would. But you know how she's interpreted that closing the refrigerator? Why you slam that refrigerator? And in my mind, I was like, I close the refrigerator like normal. But what, what, what's the problem? Love is no longer in the conversation. Tara Babel, the people are not able to communicate properly. So what happens? Everybody throws their stuff down and separates. There's no love. There's no, ab- no ability to communicate the same thing in the home. You can say, you can say the exact, you can say I love you and the person will be like. Well, why? Why are they like that? Because love is not simply demonstrated with their voice. It's in your what? In your actions. So when love is understood, then my actions are better understood. If I can interpret my behavior, the behavior by love is easier communicated. Why am I saying that? Because when you're looking at the hand of God and you're looking at prophecy, if you don't have love for God, you're going to interpret the movements of God different. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So back to Daniel. Back to Daniel. Back to Daniel. Daniel 12. Only the wise will understand. Daniel 12. Notice here. Daniel 12, it says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Now, this is my little prophecy chart. Again, I don't have time to go through every detail of that this morning. But as you can see, all these are time prophecies. And as I was going through it, I was re-looking at all the time prophecies, I began to notice a pattern. The pattern is very simple. 
God is trying to highlight all the powers that are antagonistic to God's movements. And then God highlights what God is doing to save mankind. Do you see this first prophecy, that, that 457 to 34 AD? You see that there? Do you see that this prophecy, if you don't understand this prophecy, nothing else matters? Do you know what Jesus was doing during this time frame? Go to Daniel. You're still in Daniel? This is, Daniel, go to Daniel. Notice what Jesus was doing during this time frame. Daniel, set, Daniel 9. Look at here. Because we're talking about why God waits. Why is God delaying? What is he waiting for? Look at Daniel, chapter 9. Look at verse 26. It says, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Who's the Messiah? Christ. Only one person knows that. Who's the Messiah? That's right. Jesus is the Messiah, but not for himself. In other words, he's not killed for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Because of the rejection of the man Jesus, the city and sanctuary are destroyed. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And at the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now watch. Look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the what? Are you paying attention? And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Well, how does he confirm the covenant? What is a covenant confirmed with? Blood. Listen to me. The covenant is confirmed with blood. This is what you see in the 490-day prophecy. Jesus is coming down, and he's confirming that covenant here. And then in Revelation chapter 10, you see him giving the covenant that he's already confirmed. Are you listening to me, friends? He's confirmed the covenant in Daniel. He's given his blood. He shed his blood. But now he's saying, look, I need some people to enter into this everlasting covenant. I need it to be proved. I need it to be shown. I need a people that will demonstrate the reality. Look at Revelation 14, verse 12. Look at, look at Revelation 14, 12. I want us to think, friends. We're, we're supposed to be in heaven already. Do you know that? We're supposed to be there already. We're wasting time down here. Revelation 14. Notice and listen, listen. Re- remember we asked the question last night. What was written on the front side and on the back side? The Ten Commandments. And remember, the Ten Commandments, Moses came down from the mount with the Ten Commandments written on both sides, and he goes down to make this covenant with the people of God. It was the Ten Commandments. It was God's commandments that were the covenant, the agreement with this commandments, the, 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 the foundation of it. So, when I see Revelation 14, 12, look at the words. Look at the language. What is being said here? Revelation 14, 12. Here is the what? Patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? What, what does that tell you about the people? What have they done? If they're keeping the commandments, what have they done? They've entered into the... If they're keeping the commandments, they've entered into the covenant. And it's being demonstrated in reality. It is not a figment of their imagination. Now listen to me. Listen to me. The last test is about to come upon us. And I had a discussion last night. Someone did not like what I said last night. And and it was okay. I understand that. I understand people don't like what I say. But the person said to me, the Sabbath is not the seal of God. They said it to me straight up. The Sabbath is not the seal of God. And I said, hmm, interesting. 
I listened to them. I understood where they were coming from. They said the Holy Spirit is the one that seals. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that seals. Is that right? But is the Holy Spirit the seal? The Holy Spirit seals. No question about it. But listen, can you keep the Sabbath on the seventh day, but during the week lie, cheat, still commit adultery? Listen to me. If you came to church today on the seventh day, you said, I'm keeping the Sabbath, but all week long you've been breaking God's commandments. You're not really keeping the Sabbath. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's not covenant. The Sabbath is a sign of an intimacy that you've entered into and you are declaring to the world that I have fallen in love with Jesus and I'm at rest ceasing my own works. Are you listening to me? Can I ask you another question? Because I'm dealing with real people with real problems, with real issues. You guys look real nice today, but I know. If a man is molesting a little girl, I use the most egregious ideas to get your attention. If a man is molesting a little girl and he sits in the pulpit, and every Sabbath he sits here, but during the week he molests a little girl, would you allow him to be the elder? You would not? Okay, let me ask another question. If a man is cheating on his wife, and he constantly is cheating on his wife, but then once a week he comes and sits in the pulpit and he's preaching from the pulpit. Would you allow him to be the preacher? No, you wouldn't. You shouldn't. Why not? Why wouldn't you? Hypocrite? He's not abiding according to the covenant? But he's preaching? Let me, let me ask you a question. Calvary. Everybody knows about Calvary. What really happened at Calvary? He sacrificed, yeah. What, what happened? Listen, I'm going to get real serious with you right now. Because we don't believe the gospel. We don't believe the covenant. At Calvary, what's happening at Calvary? Even before Calvary, what's happening? Jesus is coming now to confirm a covenant. Is that right? But go with, go with me. Open your Bibles. Matthew 26. Look at this. I'm talking to a people that are wondering why Jesus hasn't come. What's taking him so long? Look at Matthew 26. Look. Look at verse 36. It says, when, Jesus, when, he, when Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray what? Yonder. And he took with him Peter and, two, and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto what? He's dying. Do you see him dying? Do you see Jesus dying here? Yeah, he's dying. Not one whip has been thrown out yet. Not one nail has been put in his hand, but he's already dying. Why is he dying? What's happening? Notice, notice here, verse, verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as what? 
And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. Who are the disciples representing? The church. He findeth the disciples asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me? How long? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Who's in charge of the cup, according to this verse? The father is. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. The father's in charge of this cup. And I'm telling you, we don't believe the gospel. I'm telling you right now, we don't believe the gospel. Isaiah 53, notice what it says. Who have believed our report? And to whom have the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he should grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should what? So when you see Jesus, you're not attracted to him because he looks good. He is, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our what? Doesn't that sound familiar? Tell me, tell me, where did the people of God hide their faces before? Where did we see that? Genesis, Exodus, Moses comes down, they're hiding their face from him. Jesus comes, they say, we don't want to see your face, Jesus. Kill the man. Watch now, watch. But he was, verse, verse 4, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. See, in this verse, I think we don't believe this verse. You see what that verse said? It says surely. What does that word surely indicate? It's a certainty. Surely he had borne our grief. Does it say anything about sin right here? Does it say anything about sin in that verse? Talk to me, church. Does it say anything about sin in this verse? No, it says the results of sin. He bears our griefs and our sorrows. So why do we act like God doesn't know and understand our pain? Listen to me. Some people in this room have been molested when they were a child. Some people in this room have been abused and misused by church people. And we blame God. We act as if God wasn't there. But he was there. He felt every pain. He felt every sorrow. And the Bible says that he bears it. Listen to me, church. This is what I'm telling you. We don't believe the gospel. The reality is that you don't have to bear it. It doesn't have to be yours. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for what? Our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are what? Do you believe the word of God? Listen to me. This is not a game to me. Do you believe that you've been healed by his stripes? The gospel heals, friends. I remember, I remember, uh, I'm going to use this as an example. This here in my hand, I like to use this. This here in my hand, I'm going to say it's sin. Okay, everybody? This is, this is what? This is sin. This is my sorrow, my, my pain, my troubles, my griefs. This is sin. 
And this is Jesus this morning. You don't mind being Jesus, is that right? So I'm going to give my sin to Jesus. Will you please take my sin? Let me ask you a question. If she has my sin, do I have my sin? That's how real that is, my friends. If I give my sin to Jesus, then he has it. My anger, my anger problem, my lust problem, my appetite problem, when I see them trying to raise from the dead, I say, oh, no, 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 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth where? God is waiting for people who really believe the gospel. He's waiting for people who really say, you know what? I love the Lord. I believe Calvary really works. At all levels. Not just in some, you know, we're selfish. We preach a selfish gospel. I want to be saved. That's what we preach. As long as I'm saved, that's okay. But God is saying, hey. Not just you want to be saved, but do you want to show that I actually can overcome all sin? Yeah. Go to the book of Ephesians. Can I have not, can I have the controller? I don't want my sin back. <laughs> Go with me. I want to show you something. The book of Ephesians. It's a beautiful book. Look at this. The book of Ephesians, notice in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and listen to this, and I thought it was so beautiful, uh, and verse, starting verse 5, we're going to read in, but as you read this, you're going to start seeing that there's a principle that repeats itself throughout the book of Ephesians, but in chapter, verse 5, chapter 1, it says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his, in other words, his desire. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Did you see what that just said? In other words, when when God selected that Jesus be the person by which all of us are adopted, then in that selection and in when we are selected in that person, Jesus, and then we reflect that we have been spotless and without blame, it gives praise and glory and honor to God. I don't think anybody's listening. To the praise of the glories of, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his what? Blood. What's the blood for? The blood is to confirm the covenant. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he have abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Jump down to verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh. He worketh what? All things after the counsel of his will. What's the will of God? That we be chosen in Christ. That's the will of God. So when I'm looking at prophecy and I'm looking at the way the events are transpiring, I'm looking at how God is working all things out after the counsel of his will, that we can be merged into oneness with him. That's what we're looking at. So why the disappointment? 
Disappointment is real simple. To purge the church. Let me look at last verse. Last verse. Go with me. I want you to see something. Numbers chapter 5. Numbers 5. Remember, when John takes the book, it is sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his... Why is that? Don't notice in Numbers chapter 5. Begin at verse number 18. And I thought this was interesting as I was reading it. Let's start at verse 16. It says, And the priests shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priests shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. Holy water in what? Aren't we earthen vessels? The Bible teaches that. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the, what kind of offering? Jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. So there's an offering that's being brought. The man suspects that the, that the woman has cheated on him. So he brings the woman to the priest and says, priest, will you please investigate whether or not my wife has cheated on me? He says, okay, let me get the dust off the ground, put it in some water, uncover her head and let her drink it. What's supposed to happen? Notice what it says. Verse 19. And the priest shall charge her by an... By what? Listen to this thing. And say unto the woman, if no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the... So he says, if you've cheated on me, if, you haven't, if you've cheated on me, but if you haven't cheated, then it's not going to affect you. It's not going to affect you if you haven't cheated. But if you've cheated, and if you've broken the oath, then something's going to happen. Watch. Verse 20. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled and some man hast lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to what? And this water that causes the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and, to thy, and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen. Now listen, I'm, I'm sharing something new with you, okay? When the, when the pioneers are preaching this message, they take the book, it's sweet in their mouth like honey. You know, do you know what tastes like honey in the Bible? The law of the Lord is perfect. You guys know that? It's sweeter than the honey and the... It's the covenant. It's an oath. They eat the book. It's sweet in the mouth, but it's bitter where? Well, why is it bitter in the stomach? Because the church at the time had apostatized. Listen. The church had separated itself from the oath. It had broken the covenant relationship. So part of the church has a sweet experience and the other has a bitter, bitter, bitter experience because they have gone after another lover. 
Well, isn't that the second angel? The second angel says, and I saw another angel fly. What did it say? Go to there. Come, my brain is frying on me right now. Look at Revelation. Look at, look at Revelation. Chapter 14. Look at verse number 8. Look at what it says. Revelation 14, verse 8. And it says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is what? Fallen is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That second angel's message teaches this. The church has connected with the world. And you see in Revelation 10, this sweet, bitter experience is the first and second angel's experience. And the people are supposed to prophesy again. Can I ask a question? And I'm going to stop. The lady talked to me last night. Again, she didn't like what I said, and I, and I respect her for that. If you are calling yourself a remnant, does that make you arrogant? It shouldn't make you arrogant. It should make you responsible and humble. He is preparing a remnant to preach and teach a message that will make the world uncomfortable. You're calling the rest of the world Babylon. You're calling the other churches, the fallen churches in the world, Babylon. It's not going to make them feel comfortable. But are you willing to follow the lamb wherever he goes? Remember, Jesus is on the Calvary. And the challenge is over who he is. If you are the... Son of God, come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. If you say you are the remnant, where's your God? That's coming, friends. If you're God's chosen, why is all this stuff happening to you? The people want the second coming of Jesus, but they want to skip everything in between. Did you hear me? They want to skip the final crisis. I want to skip the national son-in-law. I want to skip the seven last. Let's skip all that. But then you can't skip that. It's the purging process that the church needs in order to prepare to see Jesus. Embrace it. Embrace the struggle. You have been chosen. And if you don't understand this, say, Father, I don't understand. I don't understand this stuff. Will you please teach me? What does this all mean? Andre used a bunch of verses. I don't understand what he just said. But God waits. He waits for a people that really believe the gospel. Who will lay all their weight on a lamb. Every sin, every burden, every trial. Do you know we're going to look like Jesus? You know, we're going to be around this tree of life. He's not going to let any old person in there. He's going to let people in there that love him more than anything else. But he's not going to force you to love him. That's why he's taking so long. He's trying to woo you. He's trying to give you flowers. He's trying to encourage you. Come study. Sit with me. Talk to me. Learn of me. Let me show you what sin has done. Let me show you why sin is so horrible.
He's coming back for people. But the people must know him. You must know him. You must trust him. This religious formality must stop. It must stop. What's the point? Is he real or is he not? If he's not, let's just leave it alone. If he's real, let's embrace it. He is more than able to give us the victory in every aspect of our lives. He is more than able, more than willing. How many understood the word this morning? Can I see your hand? You understood? Only a few understood. Father in heaven, thank you for those that understood. We're wasting a lot of time. We've wasted a lot of time. And we as your people want to enter into this everlasting covenant with you. Help us to get over our little problems, our little arguments, our bad habits. Show us how to love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.